A reading from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, beginning at the 15th verse. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to prevent, present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may, we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil and struggle with all the energy that he powerfully inspires within me. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words that flow from my mouth make sense because they're inspired by your Holy Spirit, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week we're continuing our series, The Kaleidoscope of Grace. And I seem to, yet again, have been lumped with a passage that does not mention the word grace once. But this is such a great passage. These 15 verses are so rich with theology that a preacher could go on and on and on for hours. I won't. But rather than getting bogged down in the theological detail and nuance, I want to try and take an approach which I feel that Paul may have taken when he was writing this letter to the Colossians. Colossae was known for its religious syncretism, which is a fancy way of saying that they fused together a diverse amount of religious beliefs and practices to find their own way in that culture and community. That in and of itself, I think, relates very much to the world in which we're living today where we find people are much happier to call themselves spiritual rather than Christians. The first three chapters of this letter 
are first and foremost about assuring the people, the church, particularly in Colossae, that they don't need to seek out other ideas. That all is well, everything is okay. That Christ is sufficient. And they are right where they need to be. As we start to digest what it means in our latest census data, when we see the decline of Christianity in Australia, it would be very easy to jump to the conclusion that we need to radically change everything. That we need to look at what's successful in our world today and copy all of it. And that we need to look at our doctrine and our practices and change it all. As much as I do believe that the church is called for a continuous dynamism, I think Paul's words today are like a counterbalance to that dynamism. We don't need to seek out other ideas. All is well. Christ is sufficient. And we are right where we need to be. And the Holy Spirit will lead us into the new directions that we're called to. It's easy to get lost in the theology of the first section, verse 15 to 20, particularly in the deep theology there is. And it's, there's nothing wrong with being lost in deep theology. But this section is known as the Christ hymn. It may have been a poetic, um, a piece of poetry. It might have been an actual hymn that was around at the time. And it might not have been Paul's actual words. I'm not going to get into the detail of everything behind that. But I love the idea that Paul is giving this community a worship song to encourage them. If I was trying to turn this particular passage into a song today, I'd probably call it, How Good Is Jesus? Just listen to what Paul reminds the Colossians of in this beautiful hymn. That Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In him all things in heaven and on earth were created. He's before all things and holds all things together. He's the head of the body of the church. He starts all of it. Jesus is the fullness of God. Through Jesus, God reconciles all things. How good is Jesus? Now, when you look at the detail in these verses, there is some really heavy theology, which you can very easily get lost in. Some of that theology you might not understand or you might not even agree with. One of the reasons that some scholars suggest that these words aren't original Paul is that because some of the ideas in these verses aren't consistent with what they see as Paul's theology throughout his other letters. While I'm not going to load you up with the specifics 
If you are interested in that, there's plenty of homework that you can do on that at home. I just want to rest in the idea for the moment that Paul is leaving the Colossian church with a song which he probably didn't write and he may not agree with all of it. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? It's a usual device in Scripture to point to other writings and quote them. It might have happened here. We have an ongoing challenge with our worship music in our churches today. This morning, we've already sung one of the songs that I've written, and we have written our own songs over the years. But all of our other music comes from another time or another place and another context, which will often leave us with words phraseology, jargon, and language which can be foreign to our context and our theological perspective. Do we stop all of our worship until we've only got songs that Stuart's written? Or hopefully some of our young adults will start writing songs as well. But not every church has the giftedness to write all of their songs for their own community for the times that they're going through right now. And even the megachurches that are famous for writing their own music still sing songs from other times and other places. I believe it's really important to sing out our theology. There's often more theology in a three-minute song than a 30-minute sermon. But I also think it's important to sing out the theology of others and not just your own perspective within reason. I think that these words that we sing out should be consistent with Scripture and the theology should be identifiable across the unity and diversity of the worldwide church. But singing out the theology of others can actually bring a fresh revelation to us. It can bring a fresh revelation in agreement when we sing words that we agree with. It can also bring a fresh revelation in disagreement or confusion. As we're singing out the theology of another time and place, we may think of things in a way that we have not done before. We might be convicted that we don't believe that God works like that. Or that we might be challenged to dig deeper and further to uncover an aspect of God that we might be struggling with. If we hold all of this with a sense of grace, then we can say, in those agreement moments. Praise God that I can sing in unison with churches from another place or another time. In those moments of disagreement, we can sing out, praise God for the diversity of the church and the way that God reveals uniquely to each one of us 
praise God for the harmony. And in the times of confusion, we can sing out, praise God for the challenge to explore who you are more and more and who we are in response. Personally, I don't think it's good for me to stop singing when I come across some words that I'm not sure of or I don't agree with or to start grumbling about outdated hymns and songs. I'd be grumbling about my own songs then. Then who am I? Jesus. Do I have all the answers? Are my songs the best? I'm just called to sing out and worship. I'm imagining that these words that we're listening to today, this letter to the Colossians, is actually delivered in 2022. Paul, senior minister, and his associate minister, Timothy, are live streaming straight into Colossae. Paul starts the service with an opening greeting and then throws to this banging worship band as they belt out the Christ hymn, How Good Is Jesus. And I'm imagining as I'm hearing these words flow over me, how is it making me feel as I'm singing them out? It puts me in absolute awe of Jesus. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In him all things in heaven and on earth were created. He's before all things and holds all things together. He's the head of the church. He's the start of it all. Jesus is the fullness of God and in Jesus all things are reconciled to God. And as I'm singing over these words, I'm thinking, wow, I'm so humbled to be in the presence of Jesus. But as I'm resting in these words, I'm also starting to feel a little unworthy that I'm not enough. But then along comes Paul with this amazing little sermonette and says, wait a minute, pick yourself up from the ground. It's because Jesus is so good that you are all good with God. Interestingly, Paul doesn't take the time to theologically unpack all of these big ideas in this hymn. He just reminds the Colossians, as he's reminding me as I'm listening to these words again, that I don't need to seek out other ideas, that Christ is sufficient, and that I'm right where I need to be. But Paul is not finished. You see, after singing this hymn, he's got a fresh revelation. And that revelation is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now this would have to be amongst my top three all-time favorite phrases in Scripture. It has deep personal meaning for me. 
I've preached on this passage a number of times before. But looking at this passage this way, this time, has given me a revelation that I've never had before. We've just been singing, How Good Is Jesus? And Paul drops this truth bomb that it's actually Christ in us that's the hope of glory. What does that actually mean? If I look at the words of the, of the hymn, am I personally to become the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation? Now in me do all things in heaven and earth are now created? I'm before all things and I hold all things together? I'm the head of the body, the church. I do not want to be a bishop. I'm the start of it all. I'm the fullness of God. Have you met me? Through me, God reconciles all things. I can't do all that. I can't do any of that. We've already got one Messiah. The last thing we need is every Christian running around with their own Messiah complex. Then it hit me. Light bulb moment. Fresh revelation. If I can't be all of those things, then what part of Christ is supposed to be in me so that there can be a hope of glory? Because I desperately want a hope of glory. And then I remembered what Paul prayed for the Galatians. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. And what he prayed for the Philippians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And then what he pray be with your spirit. And what did he pray for the Thessalonians? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And of course, I remembered what he prayed for the Corinthians. That famous prayer that we just now call the grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion or the fellowship, as I remember it as a child, of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. The fresh revelation is that it is the grace of Jesus in us. That's the hope of glory. God is still God in all of God's awesomeness. And how good is Jesus? But grace in us, that matters so much that it is the hope of glory. I was talking to one of our Rainbow staff, Rainbow Town, our child care centres um, staff members the other day, and she said to me, Stuart, funerals must be the hardest part of your job. And she was quite surprised when I actually said to her, well, no, they're probably one of the most rewarding parts of my job. So she immediately bounced back and said, well, what is the hardest part of your job then? 
silly me, I didn't think, didn't take a breath, I just blurted out, when Christians are being difficult to get along with with each other. That doesn't happen in churches, does it? When grace is not visible in how we treat one another, I think that is the biggest single turnoff for people outside of the church who might be wrestling with, is this God stuff actually real? Is there something in it? And then we see, they see how a Christian treats another Christian and then they think, oh, mustn't have been in anything in that after all. But if they see the grace in us, how we respond to each other, then that is a different story. That's the hope of glory. Grace in the way that we hold our relationships, grace in the way that we work, grace in the way that we are family together, grace in the way that we meet strangers, grace in the way that we drive our cars, and grace in a way that we respond on social media. Grace is really, really hard, but grace is amazing. How good is Jesus that he entrusts us with the care and the responsibility of the most powerful and precious part of God, grace. I pray that we might show more grace. And I also pray that we might tear down the barriers that we've built up by not treating each other well. And I pray for grace upon grace upon grace. And I pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen.